Good morning, church. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 18. I'm going to read uh, through the rest of 18, but we're also going to eventually finish up kind of highlighting uh, 19 through 10, uh, like chapter 19, verse down to verse 10. So I'm going to read this. It says, the Word of God says, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures, and he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogues, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he finished, and, and and when he wished to cross the Achaia, Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, he passed through the Inuit country and came to Ephesus. Now, this passage of Scripture is really an awesome passage of Scripture because one of the things that we can tell right off is that God is up to something. Uh, because Paul's already been here, you know, in his first missionary journey. Aquila and Priscilla, who he met at a different location but became really good friends with, ended up kind of taking their their uh, tent-making business and kind of creating their business here in Ephesus. And then this man, Apollos, comes on who is eloquent and, and fervent and competent in the scriptures and, and just kind of on fire for the Lord and really passionate and good at what he does, shows up as well. And then Paul eventually comes back around, as we just finished that, last, that first verse in 19, and shows back up in this place. So there's just a whole lot that is kind of set up to show us that God is up to something. And I want to kind of point that out a little bit uh, this morning. We won't be able to dive into everything, but I want to do it by just looking at three qualities of a, a follower of Jesus seen in Apollos. He's kind of our new figure that I want us to look at and just look at what kind of person he is and, and also kind of bring out a few more things that we ought to talk about. So let's look at Apollos. The first thing that we are told here in verse uh, 24 in chapter 18 is that he was an eloquent man. Uh, verse 24, now, the, now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. Now, so Apollos was from Alexandria. What do we know about Alexandria? Uh, Nile Delta was there, and it's right on the coast. Um, and it was the first place that a lighthouse... This, I think, I think kind of blew me away because I didn't realize this, but it's the first lighthouse that was ever built that we know. In fact, it's one of the great seven wonders of the world, right? This huge lighthouse. Guess when it was built? It was built in like... 2080 to 2047 B.C., that means before Jesus, right? Uh, just think how, I, I didn't even know that they built lighthouses then or they used them in that way. But that's one of the things we know about Alexandria, where he's from. We also know that it's really famous for its museums and libraries, and it had a, a bigger library than any place in the world at the time. Uh, it is also the place that the Hebrew Scriptures was translated into Greek, the Septuagint, uh, was here at Alexandria. So Alexandria, where he is from, Apollos, is a pretty significant place. And so this man was, had the opportunity, he lived in a place and had the opportunity to be very learned, learned in the scriptures, and he was a Jewish man. But now he is in Ephesus. Uh, this, this word eloquent, it's logios, which means to be eloquent or learned. It's also a word that was used, um, well, and it says he was competent in the Scriptures, and that word competent uh, is a word that is used to describe Moses in Acts chapter 7, verse 22, when it says, And Moses was instructed in all of wisdom 
of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. So the first thing I want to talk about is that, okay, I point out that these, there's three qualities that we see in Apollos that ought to be in all followers of Jesus. They're things that we should strive for. And I know that when we bring up eloquence, I, I know the first thing that we would be like, well, that, that obviously casts me out because I'm not eloquent. I would be the first one to raise their hand and, and state this, you know. But what we don't really understand is that we don't have to have this at any point in time. We just have to let God develop this in us. It's cap- we're capable of having this quality that is being displayed here by Apollos. Let me see if I can explain this a little bit. Exodus chapter 4, verse 10, because it just said that Moses was competent in the scriptures and he had this eloquence about him, right? In, in Exodus 4, do you remember when the burning bush uh, incident where, where Moses sees this burning bush, he approaches God, you know, lays out his idea that he wants him to go to Egypt and to tell Pharaoh to let my people go and all the things in, in and out. And first thing Moses says is, well, who am I supposed to tell them who sent me? And he says, I am sent you. But we know as God, and it's a big kind of a long little conversation and God's doing most all the talking, but when eventually Moses gets to have a little say, the first thing, that, the second thing I say, should say, he says is this in verse 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow in speech and of tongue. In other words, before you came in the form of a burning bush, I was not eloquent. And now that you have come and told me all this, I am still not. I am not the guy for you to, to send. I cannot do this. And then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who has, who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach what you shall speak. But he says, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Now, what I want you to know is that we have been sent out. That was really what established this in the first place, right? This whole following Paul through his journey, because we're trying to glean and understand you know, about Paul and what he did, because we know that he's not the only one sent out in this world, that we all have the great commission given to us. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I command you. And lo, I'm with you always through the very end of the age. That is our commission. It's not just Paul's, and it's not just Peter's or any of, the, any of those. It's, it's, it's been passed down through generations, and now it's in our hands. And we need to remember that, lo, I am with you always as you go on your great commission. Just like Moses needed to be reminded, who makes your mouth? I know that you can't speak eloquently, but I know that I can give you the words to say. I can, give, I can make you competent in the things you say. So in other words, it isn't your ability that God is looking for, is it? It's just your willingness to be used is all he is looking for. That's all he's interested in. He'll do all the rest. Now, there is a huge opportunity coming our way in January, and I am super excited about getting this thing kicked off and getting it, uh, you know, uh, presented to us because one of the things that will come from it, I believe, when it does get up and going, is that it will have the greatest opportunity that we've ever had to make us more eloquent and competent in the Scriptures. Um, It's... It's to, the primary purpose of it is to connect us with this God who does this. The God who created the, the mouth, and he is the one who gives us the words and the ability to be this, right? Uh, and that's the whole point of it is to get us connected with him. But we also are going to be calling it connected, connect groups uh, because it's going to be something we do kind of together along the way as well. And Matthew and Madison and Emily are doing this amazing job of developing something that I believe has the potential of being one of the greatest things that come out of this church. And I don't say that lightly because I know there's been some amazing, amazing things that have come out of this church. 
and so I'm just trying to help you understand that I think this is really going to be a, a, a great opportunity. But you know what? It, it could fall flat on its face, and I realize that. And, but the only way that I, it could fall flat on its face is, is if we just run from it is, I guess, what I'm getting at. Because I think all of us will have this tendency to be like Moses. Uh, you got the wrong person. You need to send someone else kind of thing. But there's really not anything that's scary like what Moses is going into here. For us, it's just whether we have a heart for God and a heart for his word. That's all it takes. But I do know that Satan is pretty mighty and powerful in the sense that he can talk us out of doing the easiest of easy tasks or taking on easy responsibilities. So, so be praying about that, but I just can't wait until this thing gets up and going. I'm really super pumped about it. But I know that this, this what I'm trying to describe that's coming from Apollos is something that is not uniquely Apollos's. It can be from any and every one of us if we want. Now, I'm still by far, like you know me well, like you're... I, if, if you're smart, you know that, boy, he really still needs to make Mike more eloquent, right? Uh, he still needs to work on him. But if you could go back to where I began, you'd be like, oh, my goodness, he has done so much with that guy, right? Everybody from there, they just marvel at what I do because they know what I was. But see, this is what, this is what God promises to do, and he can do this. So somewhere along the way, Apollos had come into contact with the gospel, of Jesus Christ and became a believer and his abilities and talents were were placed wholeheartedly in this project and he was ready to be used. It was as if, because we know what the end of Moses' story, Moses went, God did mighty, amazing, powerful things with him along the way. He even gave Aaron, you know, uh, to him to use and lean on a little bit in that way. But this is Apollos as well. And we should be encouraged by it and think, hmm, maybe, maybe I could be a little more eloquent myself. Here's another thing I want you to see here, and that is that he was a fervent man. In verse uh, 25, it says, he has been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. Now, we need to deal with that only knew the baptism of John, but, but first, I just want to really zero in on how that he was a fervent man. He had been instructed in the ways of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. He was well informed about the scriptures. And a lot of it's got to do with what we already had talked about, where he come from. He was a Jewish man. He, he just so happened to be in a town that uh, had all of the resources available to him to be able to just dive into this. But this word fervent is a really interesting word. It's zeo in the Greek, and it literally means to bring to a boil. It would be a word that you would use. And you've ever, well, I know that you have. You've, you've seen water just kind of start bubbling and, you know, these little bitty things coming up from the bottom. But eventually, man, when it gets going, it really gets going. And it is just like bubbling and going crazy. And this is a word that, that is used to describe this man's character, his, his uh, um, um, uh, behavior. You know, we kind of use this word somewhat too, Right? Especially in the athletics, you know, we say, man, he is hot tonight, right? He is, he is on fire. He is smoking. Now, I don't know what the kids use today, but they use something similar to that, surely. And what we mean by that is that he just seems like he is, he is, this, he is doing everything perfectly, and he is just all over, and he is creating so much goodness out there on that field. And that is kind of the word that is being used, zeo, uh, here. Um, back in the day. So we could say that we should be hot for Jesus, bubbling over, right? Or that we are zeo for Jesus. The only other place that this word is used is in the New Testament is in Romans twelve eleven. Pretty interesting because this is what it says. Romans twelve eleven it says, not slothful in business, fervent in the spirit, serving the Lord. 
So it's talking about our behavior on a day-to-day basis, that we should not be slothful in our dealings with, with our relationship with Jesus, but that we should be fervent. We should be bubbling over. There should be a zeo in us. You know, when God sees us, they, I mean, when people see us, they should see God in us. They should see that there is something, that is something going on in this man's life, right? And that's the way that Apollos was. When he entered a room, people recognized that there's something unique about this man. And I think, again, this is something that is, is not necessarily like gifted to him and not able to be uh, gifted to us as well. We can be fervent in the Spirit. The Bible tells us, in fact, in Romans 12, 11, that we should be fervent in the Spirit. Every one of us, not just some of us, or just the ones that are, God gives us gift to. It's a gift that all of us should possess. And so the opposite of that is slothfulness. It's just don't be lazy. If you want to be fervent, then just don't be, don't have apathy. You know, like if you, if you had a business, you would want all your employees to, to be what, lazy? No. <laughs> Not if you want your business to grow, right? Um, if you want your business to grow, you want people to have that zeo about them, to, for them to be bubbly. And to be my guest, if you, had, if you were wanting to climb the ladder in whatever you do, you have to know that you have to have a bit of zeo in you in order to get to the next stage, to the next stage, because that's the only way people actually get there where they have people under them, is that they have, they have some ambition, some fervor in them. Um, and so don't you know that that's what God wants from his people? And why wouldn't we? I mean, you know, sometimes I think, well, if, if God were paying us, and this was a job, what would God say to us? I kind of think some of us, he would be like, well, it's time for an exit interview. <laughs> um, we need to talk about what you're not doing. But the reality is, is that in all reality, God is very much paying us. He has paid our ransom, you know, from Satan, from hell, from damnation, and he has delivered us into being free people. And so that's why Paul, when he talks about that he is a bond slave to Jesus, meaning that he knows very well what it costs Jesus for him to be set free. And now I am all Jesus. And, and for Paul, he's a great example of Zeo, right? He is someone who is bubbling over like crazy. Why? Because he realizes what he has received from Jesus. And I think that's what motivates this in us. I think that's what motivates this in Apollos. I don't know what he was before Jesus, but at some point he was shared Jesus, right? He believed in Jesus just like Paul did, and now he has this zeo about him. And it should be something that defines us too. You know, Second Peter 1, it says, in verse 5, it says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. And listen to what he says in verse 6. He says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flames the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. But he tells us this. For this reason I remind you to fan into flames. So we already know this zeo is like a boiling over. It's and, and we kind of use it today, you know, like he's smoking hot on the court or, you know, um, he is doing everything right. It's something that has to be encouraged. Like if somebody is killing it out on the basketball court or the football court, it is, I mean, the football court. I know my sports, I'm sorry, uh, the field. But it is something that they worked at. They didn't just get this. This is something that they fanned into flames over and over a period of time. When we go to Colorado, when you go up into the Rocky Mountains, the first thing that you know is the wood is not equal to the wood that we have back here. You know, they have like pine and aspen, and it does not like to burn very well. You know, it'd be nice if you had some hedge up there. But you also realize that you don't have a lot of oxygen up there. And so when we have to get a—and sometimes it's damp, you know, because it rains a lot, just a little bit. And so— 
So when you gather your wood, you try to find dry wood, and when you find wood, it's just, you know, it's whatever. It's pine or aspen. And you're trying to get it fire going without a lot of oxygen. So our go-to, and we've been doing this for many, many years, we go get this pie plate, you know, that's around, and somebody has to start fanning it into flames. You know, you're trying to get something going, and you're just sitting there fanning away. And actually, it's kind of a privilege because everybody wants to do that. Lewis always did it. He kind of hogged the job. But now that he's gotten older, he kind of passes it on, you know, to some of us. But it's kind of fun to do for a while, but then you get tired, and somebody else takes over, and this is what you do. But eventually, you have a fire going. I think this is kind of the mindset of what Paul is saying to Timothy here in this uh, fan into flames is that you will, your spark will go out if you do not keep it fanned. How do we do that? Well, one of the things that we do is just that we are here. Now, I want to talk just briefly to our online group because we have a pretty amazing online group. We probably are just as many watching outside of this church as we have in this church. But for a moment, I just want to talk to our online people and hopefully you're watching and being a part of us because we are helping you fan into flames and keep up your, you know, your fervor in the Lord, your zeo. But it is hard to take your turn at fanning into flames if you're always this somewhere else receiving and not ever giving. Because here's what I know, and I bet most of you feel this. I feel fanned. My, my fire feels like it is burning a little brighter when I come and I am with you. Just the fact that you are here. Just the fact that Bob is here and I get to see Bob and interact with Bob and, and Sharon and I get to see her and interact with Sharon. And just the fact that your presence is here does something for me. Just like if all of a sudden you all decide not to be here, how discouraged I would be just because you're not here. You see, there's something we do in the presence of one another that we can only do in the presence of one another. And part of that is getting this zeo. We, we are fueled off each other. That is the same way, just like we were talking about sports for a second. But when COVID happened, the athlete's ability diminished some. This is, this, something, this is a known fact that people who study this know, that when they are playing to an empty stadium, they don't play as well as when they're playing to a stadium that is got all this zeo about them, this bubbling over. You see, it's, it, it creates a contagiousness about us. It's the same way even with the players. When the players are up, it it somehow encourages, Devin will know this because he plays baseball, but when, I mean baseball, oh my goodness, sorry man, basketball. But uh, when, when you are this way, right? I mean like when you are on fire, you know that you are actually bringing your teammates up as well. And there, this is something that we can do. This is something that God has called us. So he was a fervent man, and there is something that we can learn from that. Now, I want to talk about this just before we end with our last thing here. And that is that um, Apollos knew the Old Testament. And he, along the way, found this Jesus. Somebody told him about Jesus. But what somebody didn't share with him is that the importance and the need to be baptized into Jesus. The only thing that he knew was John's baptism. Maybe that's where he was introduced to Jesus. I'm, I'm pretty much, I'm guessing that that's probably true, right? He was kind of either discipled by one of John's disciples or that he was one of John's disciples in the first place. But, but he knew about Jesus, and, and he, uh, so he knew about the one coming, and he was baptized into John's baptism, but he didn't know anything about the baptism into Jesus Christ. Which, by the way, just so we can trace this back, Jesus established, right, in, in Matthew 28, therefore go, like we just said, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then we know in Acts chapter 2 that that's exactly what they did. They all said, well, what should we do, brothers, you know, when they were cut at the heart and they felt like they needed to do something? And he told them to repent and be baptized into Jesus for the forgiveness of sin, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's not just for you, but it's also for the generations after you, he says. And what we know 
that as we trace that all the way through Acts, every time somebody felt like they needed to make a decision, they found out who this Jesus was and what are we to do. This is what they were told to do because this is what Jesus told them. But somehow Apollos missed that conversation because whoever led him to Jesus did not share that with him. And so what we know and what we have here in Scripture is that when Priscilla and Aquila, who were really close to Paul, went and heard him, they could see that he was an eloquent man and competent in the Scriptures, and he was fervent, you know, and accurate in the Scriptures, all but this aspect of baptism. And so they take him aside and they share that. You know, baptism is such an important thing. It's amazing, actually, and the, thing that, the biggest thing that we have to understand is that it is not a man-made thing. Paul didn't create this and dream this thing up. This was something that God dreamed up. It's something that even the reason John did it was because of God, but, but this being baptized into Jesus was Jesus' idea, and he's the one who established it and, and started it, and they just carried it on and on. And baptism is amazing because it is a God idea. But it's also amazing when you just begin to just think about it. And I made a list, and I made this list so fast, and I'm just going to run through it as quick as possible. I'm going to give you scripture so that you can write it down, but we're not going to spend time at each one of these, okay? So I just want you to think about it in this way. What we know is that baptism is our new birth. We know that, you know, and we know that we have to have a new birth. This conversation with Jesus had with, you know, Nicodemus in John chapter 3. That would be the verse that you would want to write down, 3, 3 through 8. But Jesus had this conversation with Nicodemus. You have to be born again. He said, well, how come I'd be born again? I'm, I'm, you know, I can't go back in my mother's womb. And Jesus says to him, he says, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear a sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And so one of the things that baptism is for us, it is a new birth for us. And we know we have to have a new birth. Jesus established that. You know, Titus chapter 3, verse 5, it tells us about the old and the new. Um, you can just write that down. I'm not going to read through that. But, but also, we know that not only do we need a new birth, we also know that we have to have a death. You know, that, that just as Jesus died, we have to have a death too. And baptism is our death. That's why it tells us in Romans chapter 6, 3 through 7. Do you not know all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? See, we have to establish ourselves, connect ourselves with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. But we have to have, we have to connect with his death. And that's, baptism is that place. He says, so don't you know all of us who were baptized in Jesus were baptized into his death, literally. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in a newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And it goes on talking about that, that the old self was crucified, the old self. And we know that there was an old self and a new self, you know, an old man and a new man. And baptism is that. It is our death. Interestingly, right? So we are born the first time into this world, and then we die. Nobody's going to avoid it unless God makes other arrangements, but we know that that is the way that works, right? You're born, and then you die. Spiritually, it's the opposite. You die to self, and then you are born and raised a new birth. And I think that's kind of fascinating. So we are born physically, but we are going to die, and that's an end. Spiritually, we die, and then we're born, and there's no end. And that's the way God intended it. So he flips this thing around on its nose. But baptism is our death and it is our new birth. Here's another thing baptism is. It is our appeal, First Peter. And baptism 
corresponds with this. It now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the body, but is appeal to God or a pledge to God. It, that's what baptism is. Baptism is our exodus, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 4. I'm not going to read that. You can read that, but it's just talking about Moses had an exodus, and it's where God takes his people, and it says even that he, they were baptized into Moses, meaning that that's how they got out, and it's depicting our baptism into Jesus, and he is our exodus out of this sin world and into the promised land. And that's what baptism is. Baptism is our clothes. It tells us in Galatians chapter 3 that uh, for as many who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. It is literally that place, baptism is a place that we put on Jesus. Now Jesus covers us. And so baptism is that place for us. Baptism is the proof of the covenant or the sealing. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 11, we talk about this a lot, but it it says there, "In, in him also you were circumcised, not a circumcision made but a circumcision made without hands by putting off of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. And so baptism is, is our circumcision without hands. It's, and what was circumcision for? Well, we know in Genesis chapter 17, if they refused not to be circumcised, they were cut off from the promise or the covenant. And so it was essential but we know that they are saved by faith, but this thing is essential because it's the sealing of the covenant. See, God made a covenant with you, and if you look at it like a contract, so be it. But he lays this out for you and says, this is what I will do for you, but this is what I want you to do for me. And then we have to decide, okay, that's a good deal. I will take you up on that. And it's just like a contract. If you're going to you look at all of this stuff like, hmm, do I really want to get into this contract? And if you already decide, well, I'm going to, well, just because you decide I'm going to doesn't make it happen until what? Until you sign your name, and now you are liable and obligated to fulfill this thing. God had a similar thing, and that is when he made a covenant with people, it was sealed. Matthew dealt with this last week in his, his communion meditation about the shoe, right? He would remind people, hey, we had this covenant because I got your shoe right here, right? And there's a lot of ways to seal the covenant, but God sealed the, sealed the covenant with us through baptism. God sealed the covenant with Abraham through circumcision. And that's what Colossians is talking about. So baptism is that. It is, it is our proof of the covenant. Baptism is our commission. It is where Jesus sends us out. And once we're baptized, we have this commission. That's where we get it. That's where all of a sudden we feel, we feel responsible like Paul felt responsible to go share the gospel. If you don't feel that, then you, somehow you miss that, that when you were baptized into Jesus, you were commissioned by Jesus to go and tell. All of us. And here's this great thing, too. It's a great equalizer in the sense that... Uh, um, And this goes back to the Galatians passage that we're all clothed in Christ when we're baptized. But then it goes on, it says, We are neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free, no male or female. We are all one in Christ. It puts us all on the same plane. The great equalizer baptism is because now we're brothers and sisters. And no matter if you are rich or poor or you are of this race or that race, we all come together under one roof, and we are all the same. We are in Christ, saved by grace. And I suppose, I don't know that I put this in up here, but another great thing about baptism is that it gets rid of our guilt and shame at the same place. That's super significant, by the way, because what is guilt? Guilt is something that you have internally, right? It is something that you are dealing with inside of yourself And you don't know what to do with it. Like, you just feel this guilt. Baptism is where you get rid of that guilt because you know that you are baptized into Jesus and he forgives you his sins. He paid the price and you get to release that guilt and cast it aside. And we know that God throws it into the depth of the sea where he does not remember it anymore and our guilt is gone. But there's also something else that has to be dealt with and that is shame. Shame is not an internal thing. Shame is an external thing. In other words, we feel shame because we, we know we disappointed people on the outside as well. 
And so when they find out and know, then we have this shame that we have to deal with too, right? And that's why Adam and Eve were dealing with both that. They had guilt, but then they went and hid because they had shame. And it has to be dealt with. And baptism is not only an internal thing that you do privately, but it is also an external thing that you do publicly. Because you're dealing with both the guilt and the shame in the same location. And that is so vitally important for us to understand. Now, here's the thing is, is that we have other things that we try to, not we, but some people try to just come up with to replace the same importance that we're putting on baptism. They try to use something else like a, a sinner's prayer. But a sinner's prayer doesn't do that. It deals with the guilt, but it doesn't do, deal with the shame. And a lot of these things that this baptism does... And so the point is, is that it's a God thing. God created it. He's the one who designed it and the one who sent us out to do it. And it's so important for us to understand how amazing it truly is when we think about it. But back to Apollos. Apollos, he was eloquent and he was fervent. He had this bubbling over about him. But one thing that he lacked was this teaching on baptism. So uh, Priscilla and Aquila took him apart, aside, and I, I think that's really cool that they took him aside because that kind of indicates that they weren't trying to embarrass him or anything like that. They just wanted him to know accurately what God's word is on this. And so they might have had him over for dinner or whatever, and they sat down with him and they explained this to him. And it leads to, the reason I needed to talk about that, because it leads to the next thing about, you know, out of the three things qualities that make a great follower, and that is the third one, and it's so important, and that is to be teachable. And that's what Apollos was. Because what we know is that conversation that Priscilla and Aquila had made a difference. He took it, and now he just added it to everything that he teaches, and he went out there and did that. And, and Paulus was a teach, had a teachable spirit. So, 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 so important to be teachable. Because let me tell you, we're not going to have it all figured out overnight. And we're going to have to have a teachable spirit to just be, to be able to be taken aside and, and to be taught if we need to be taught about certain things. And all of us fall into this. I have many times, and we all need to. You know, I was listening to Vance Russell, and I want to encourage this and to all of us to listen to this, but he has a teaching that he just did and put online, and it's on the rapture. It was so enlightening to me, so enlightening. One of the things that I learned about the rapture is that it's only about a less than 200 years old teaching. It's come up through the Baptist church. 200 years, and it is like something that we feel like that has been around forever, like it's been something passed down. That he also, and if you watch it, I really encourage you to do so. But one of the things that you would learn is that um, uh, it was that it started from the very beginning of a teenage girl who, you know, was in a, a service that was was speaking in tongues and all this thing. Not anything bad about any of that, but that's where it came as a teenage girl, and it was end up taken on from somebody else that adopted that teaching. And then just moved on through the ranks. But you watch it and just see. But what I'm saying is that that's something that we deal with. And I am amazed that it's not an old tradition or an old teaching that has been handed down. It's something that a teenage girl has brought into the world. And yet we think that it is rooted in Scripture. You watch it and see. But it was a teachable moment for me to just... Uh, listen and hear and instruct. And so this is important stuff. Apollos was like that. Uh, we all need to be teachable at times. So Apollos was an eloquent man, and we can be eloquent too if we are in the Word of God. He was a fervent man, and we can be too. We can be bubbling over if we want, and he was a teachable man. And I just think that this is such an encouraging thing. By the way, I might just add because we said we'd finish up down to verse 10, but uh, since we don't have much time, 
I just want you to see that Paul eventually shows up in Ephesus, and then in verse 2, he, he encounters these people, and he sa- says to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Because Paul knows that it's important that they are baptized into Jesus, because one of the things you get when you're baptized into Jesus is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, why does Paul, not, why does Paul ask them that question? It's, it's one of a few things, and that is that he saw something in them that made them think that they didn't have it, I used to think that that, but I don't know that that's really what I think actually went on. I think Paul already conversed with Paul, Priscilla and Aquila and already knew that he had talked to Apollos and got all that straightened out, right? And Paulus just left Ephesus, and so he had some disciples that were left behind. And I think that when he learned that these are Apollos' disciples, he knew this was probably a teaching that was lacking. So he asked them this question. And they said, we've not heard that that there is a Holy Spirit. And he says, well, then what baptism do you receive? And they said, John's baptism. And then he says, well, John's baptism is the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who is to come after him, that is Jesus. But now Jesus has come. And now you need to be baptized into Jesus for the remission of your sins. It's like what the, the disciples taught and like Paul taught. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. And you can go ahead and finish that passage. But that was, again, another teachable place where people got to practice that. But we learn a lot from Apollos. He was such an amazing man, um, and it should inspire us to take on these qualities as well. Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much for this opportunity to hear from you today. Lord, help us to strive to be used by you. Help us just be willing to be used by you, actually, and that you use us to be more eloquent, more fervor, on fire for you, and be teachable to know that your word is everything that we need, and we just need to always take everything that we hear and align it with your truth. And when we hear things new, that we would just seek it out as if it is an investigation for us to know the truth and that your word is the only one that can lead us that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, there we go. Okay, the voice, the scary voice, right? <laughs> okay, so um, anyway, this, this awe moment came Friday. Um, I get uh, a text from Mike. Uh, wasn't sure um, uh, who was going to be, if we were going to have our travelers back or not, and he said, would you be willing to do communion? Uh, and of course, I'm sure. And so uh, I text him back, uh, what, what are we going to uh, be studying? And, and uh, uh, he evidently had gotten busy, so I didn't hear anything. 
Well, between his answer, uh, uh, Connor and Julia came over uh, to load some stuff up that they took up to Bryant Christina yesterday. And uh, one of the first things that happened when they got there is uh, uh, this little young man here uh, wanted to tell me about his uh, memory verse for the week, which he uh, had learned in two days. Only took you two days. So he's going to share that with you. You ready? Okay. Go ahead. Got it? Hebrews? Do you want to just look at me and say it? There you go. There, is that better? Mm -hmm. Do you remember Hebrews? Okay. All right. That's all right. Well, and, and I planned for that. So where he had it memorized, um, I had to remember, okay, it was Hebrews what? Anyway, Hebrews 12, that no, dis no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Is that it? And what was that about? What do we learn? Do you remember? Was it about being a teach, having a teachable spirit? Mm-hmm. Now, do you ever get in trouble from your mom and daddy? Sometimes, yeah. But you want to fix it, right? You know, that's because you have a teachable spirit. And that is so huge because 9 o'clock, my phone chimes, and all I read is teachable spirit. And uh, I thought about it and thought about it, and I didn't know if I was going to uh, put this little guy through the, the uh, pressure of coming up here, so I didn't ask him until this morning. So uh, I'm glad he's here with me. But uh, the thing is, when we're little, how long does a child hold a grudge? And, you know, personalities come into play and events come into play. But the fact of the matter is that a child, the heart of a child, pretty much forgives and forgets pretty quick, right? And so, uh, just as Mike was talking about, I'm going to bring up my other scripture here. Um, Apollos has that, that teachable spirit, that heart of a child, that when, um, when these elders come to him and say, you know, you're doing good, but, you know, you're, you're, you're not quite on target here, um, he, he takes that and he runs with it. And his feelings may have been hurt a little bit. He may have been embarrassed. But as the scripture, the memory verse this week, Hebrews 12.11 tells us that that's a temporary feeling because what will grow out of that is righteousness. And Jesus tells us about being teachable and having that heart of a child. In Matthew uh, 18, uh, he begins the chapter uh, with a discussion on the greatest uh, in the kingdom of heaven. And starting with verse 2, he called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes a lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Jesus came to us as a, as a child, but he had that, that maturity of being God and yet the, the spirit of a child. And in the garden, as, as he knew what was coming, and he knew uh, and he was struggling with 
knowing what he was about to go through. And he asked, as a child, can, can I do something different? Can this cup be passed for me? And uh, before he um, would wait for God's answer, he would say, as a child, but I want to do it your way. Your will be done. As adults, we tend to hold grudges, don't we? And as adults, we tend to say, I hear your message, Mike. I hear the scripture. And we do one of two things. We say, I think you're talking to the person sitting next to me or in another row. Or we say, um, I'm good. I'm mature enough that I think I've got this figured out. As we come to this communion table, we need to really embrace this idea of becoming childlike and reverting to an attitude of always wanting to do what our daddy wants us to do and to do a good job and be accepting of discipline because we know discipline from God will bring righteousness just as Jesus wasn't being disciplined but he took the punishment for all of us on that cross. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you so much for uh, all that you bless us with and uh, uh, the examples that uh, are just in our face every day. And and Lord, we just thank you that um, you have given us wisdom to recognize that and more importantly to share that experience with others. Father, we just pray that you make us like children, that like Jesus, with that teachable heart and that servant's heart, that we will accept our disciplines knowing that we will become more right with you. Father, encourage us, and as we take communion this morning, Give us that sense of being bold for you. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen.